I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome. In this episode, I interview Vivek Kumar and Jim Daly from Microsoft on the Microsoft Docs portal and find out how those docs can help you. This is a Dynamics 365 show focusing on the ingredients of a successful Dynamics 365 practice. Your host is Business Applications MVP Mark Smith, otherwise known as NZ365 Guy. I love engaging with the community, so send me a message on Twitter or LinkedIn by searching for NZ365 Guy. To review the show notes for this episode, please go to nz365guy.com forward slash 50. Also, it is worth noting that at the end of 2018, this podcast is moving to its own channel. It'll no longer be available on CRM.audio, but will be available as the, the Microsoft Business Applications Podcast. You can find it on any great podcast player. I'd like to thank the generous contribution from our sponsor, Kingsway Soft. Kingsway Soft is a leading integration solution provider offering software solutions that make data integration affordable and painlessly easy. Thousands of enterprise clients from over 80 countries and regions rely on Kingsway Soft to integrate data with various business systems in order to drive their business efficiency and fully leverage their information assets. And Kingsway Soft now works with CDS and PowerApps. Kingsway Soft is a leading provider of Microsoft Dynamics integration software, including Dynamics 365, CRM, AX, NAV, GP, SL, as well as many other applications. Hi everyone, welcome to the Dynamics 365 Practice Podcast. I'm here today with Jim Daly and Vivek Kumar. Guys, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you. Hi, Jim. First, let's start with you. Do you want to kind of share with the audience a little about your career journey and how you kind of ended up in Microsoft? Sure. I'll give you the short version. I kind of got started a little bit after I was 30, so I was a little late to getting into IT. But uh, I joined uh, about 20 years ago, I joined a CRM vendor and started in technical support, helping people with uh, stored procedures and programming level stuff. Did that for a couple of years and moved over to their training group, did that for about a year, and then I had the opportunity, unwanted, but opportunity to leave that company and work for one of their customers and spend about a year doing a re-implementation of their CRM software on site with a very IT-driven. So was that a Dynamics back then, or was it some other type of CRM? It was a company called Onyx. I think they're still around, but probably in maintenance mode. But that was a great first start. At that point, I heard that uh, Microsoft was going to have a CRM product, and I thought, hey, I'd like to get in on that. And because of my training background, I got a job as a trainer. I was going to be doing training for the very first version of product, and we actually did the training for like the, the beta of V1. And then we realized, well, if we're going to teach, we need content. So we ended up writing content for this courseware. And so I handled the uh, customization configuration part, which also included creating test questions for the certification exams. And this is all a very new product. And it was the first, you know, .NET product. I think it was the first product that Microsoft shipped that used .NET, just to give you an idea of how old it was. And I would say that the version one and early versions of products were short of capabilities to meet requirements. And uh, the answer I kept getting at that point was, oh, well, use the SDK, you know, you can code that. So I had to learn .NET and I worked on a, a training course for developers back then. And then I wanted to, this was all while I was working in, in Fargo. I moved to Seattle area, went out to Fargo, lived there for a couple of years. So I kind of wanted to get back home and I came back and I started with the content team for version four, writing content at that time. It was the in, inline help for the customization area. Then I joined the SDK team for V5 
I did uh, form scripting solutions, metadata API, ribbon, a lot of uh, client-side stuff. And as I had an opportunity to manage the developer documentation team for a couple of years. And then last July, I moved over into a PM role. Well, so let me get this right. Did you write the original courseware for CRM like 1.2? For the customization and configuration content? Yeah. Oh, man, I never knew that. Thank you so much because it was really well written. <laughs> You know, as and that's that's when I started, and I tell you, the courseware back then was absolutely top notch. So, good job, good job. Thanks. Didn't realize that. <laughs> so, Vivek, what about you? What's your journey uh, into Microsoft and uh, your career thus far? Right. So, I am a mathematics graduate, and I started my career as a technical writer. I did not originally go for that interview. I actually went for a software developer role, but they thought I kind of lacked on my practical skills. So they offered me to do documentation and this was not Microsoft. So I started my journey as a technical writer accidentally. And then I started liking that part because I got used to work with developers, program managers and other folks and learn new technologies every day and write about it. And, and you know, customers used to like, you know, give feedback and that really made me happy. And that way my journey started. After I started as a technical writer, it took me like six, seven years to come and join Microsoft. I started with the BizTalk Adapter team and I was doing documentation for Oracle eBusiness Suite, SQL Database Adapters, and then kind of started liking SQL Database, got deep into that area. And then in India, I got an opportunity to join the CRM documentation team as a vendor. And I did start documentation on appointments, recurring appointments, SharePoint integration, developer documentation. Worked on it for two years and then moved to the SQL database Azure documentation team right there in India. Uh, worked there for around three, three, three and a half years and then again got an opportunity to move to U.S. and joined the CRM SDK developer documentation team. Joined back here, uh, worked on a variety of stuff, USD, like CRM tooling. Re- very recently, uh, overhauled the client scripting documentation. And uh, right now, I'm working as a content publishing manager, managing a documentation for Power Apps, Flow, uh, and Dynamics 365 platform. Yeah, after Jim left our team, I took on this role and kind of trying to make sure that we, we can properly migrate Dynamics 365 documentation into the Power Apps world so that people who are coming onto the Power Apps and using our platform, which is now called CDS for Apps, easily and, and they can find content and do their job. Excellent. So just to get this right, you you both worked in docs. Jim, you've had a history working in docs and recently moved roles. And Vivek, you're now running the Microsoft Docs team for everything that kind of sits under business applications. Would that be right? Not everything, but basically the core platform part of Dynamics 365 and Power Apps and Flow. Okay. Okay. So can you tell me a bit about, you know, just some numbers and stats around the move? So when did, how long ago did kind of Microsoft Docs come online from a Dynamics perspective and kind of what did it replace? And yeah, kind of, is, is, my understanding it's the main source now to find out kind of anything and everything. Can you tell us a bit about that journey and, and how it happened? Right. So I'll start first and Jim, you can add. So earlier we had this documentation split across various websites, MSDN typically for developer documentation, TechNet typically for for IT Pro, end user documentation, and then Office had their own site called support.office.com or or Windows had their own site called support.windows.com for typically for end user documentation. Now that was creating a lot of friction confusion amongst users uh, when they were made to jump from one site to another for related documentation. What Microsoft said, let's consolidate all this into a single branding, into a single website where people can find all types of information irrespective of the user persona. And then this idea of docs.microsoft.com came up. They also wanted to move to a more contemporary style of documentation where they could invite community participation, more robust feedback, and more importantly, people can just basically contribute to our docs so that we could use the community knowledge to increase the you know value of our content. So at that point, this whole docs thing came up based on a GitHub platform where it allows you to 
participate by creating uh, you know pull requests uh, with your changes provide feedback that is tracked using github issues and and is an open source thing so that's that's when it came out for dynamics 365 documentation we moved to to docs roughly to Two years back, and now you'll see if you have your old MSDN links bookmarked. If you click on those links, they will actually be redirected to the previous version docs, docs.microsoft.com. So we have actually moved almost all of all, all of our stuff to docs.microsoft.com. So, so what type of areas haven't been moved yet, just at a broad level? I think everything is moved now. Everything is, yeah, yeah. 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 I'd add, you know, one of the differences, and Vivek touched on this, is, you know, when we worked on MSDN and TechNet, you know, one of the things that, that the output of that was it would create the compiled help file, for example, that we ship in the SDK package. But the thing is, it was written using a set of proprietary tools where, you know, you had sort of a, a word-looking interface, but underneath it was all XML. And one of the outputs of, of that it was really a content management system is that it would allow you could build a CHM or you could push the changes out to MSDN or TechNet, depending on, on your publishing thing. And the thing is, those those tools, while they were not really, they kind of required some additional training for people to use. And it was difficult for, say, PMs or devs to, to contribute it. They had to go through one of the writers and say, hey, can you update this doc? And then they'd have to, you know, convey the the meaning and the, and the greater, and you know, why is this change being applied? And the, it was up to the writer to process that and, and get it into words. And, you know, different iterations and review was always difficult. So, you know, while the GitHub system isn't a content management system per se, and it's hard to say run the same kind of reports and, and do some of the same things you can do with a real content management system, it does use the open tooling and, and markdown as the, the means of writing the content is not easy to, I mean, is very easy to learn and, and, and adapt. And so a lot of people already know it. So it's going to bring in a lot more people to participate directly with the docs in a much more efficient way. Nice, nice. I think the last time I accessed a CHM file was around USD. USD used to have a or unified service desk used to have a lot of the when it first came out USD there. I think there was a lot of in fact, I was going back to the old ones to learn about the various languages and stuff used as part of USD and creating scripts, etc. And even connections to telephony systems were all in those old CHM files. Yep, that's correct. Has that all moved across now? Yes, it's all now on docs.microsoft.com. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. So in the old days, we used to have the software development kit or the SDK. Where is that now? Does it exist or is it 100% all docs now? I'll cover that one, Vivek, if that's all right. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, we, yes, we for since CRM began, there was a downloadable package, a zip file that included the, the compiled help content, the SDK assemblies, tools, and sample code. So it was all very convenient in, in a, uh, a single package. And, you know, this made a lot of sense back when we released uh, new things every couple of years. We would do periodic updates. There wasn't a whole lot of change. As change became more frequent, you know, assembling and packaging and posting this package could easily require, you know, a week for several people to, to, to work together on. And we were getting to the point where we were, we would be spending so much time reviewing, fixing, building, and just shipping that package that we had no time to write. So I think the key change is when we started shipping the SDK assemblies on NuGet, which, you know, for people were using Visual Studio, much easier way of, of adding uh, assemblies. So the uh, adding the SDK assemblies wasn't really necessary to ship them separately. The publishing system changed and no, no longer created CHM files for us. So that was a reason not to include the, the CHM anymore. And by the time we, we worked out so that, and we also moved the sample code over to code.msdn.microsoft.com so it would be discoverable via internet search. So there just wasn't much, there was a lot of redundant effort. And with the resources we had, we decided to stop shipping that package as it was. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And just to add to that, it's now available. Everything is available online, and all the assemblies are available through NuGet packages. Visual Studio in, has now inbuilt support for NuGet package managers, so that makes it all the more easier 
to just get those assemblies through NuGet packages. So yeah, and I take it there's just no guessing that uh, am I on the latest version? Uh, you know, as long as you've you know uh, requested the latest copy, you've got the latest one, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's still a little kludgy, I'm I'm hoping that we can get fixed over time is that you know the tools that are distributed on via NuGet, we do have a PowerShell script that we include in there, and thanks to David Yak for publishing the early version of that, but we modified it a bit. And, you know, it does require a little step of uh, at the command line in PowerShell to download the latest version. I'd like to get that somehow to be better in the future, but it's all available and you can always get the latest version that way. Excellent. Is there anything stopping one of the community members kind of developing it any further or does it really need to be done in-house this piece? We've had uh, some discussions about the best way to do that, but there isn't any work committed. I know that David, his XRM tool site has a, a nice way of, of downloading it through the UI from, from NuGet. Um, and I'm, we're still talking, think, having discussions about the best way we want to do that going forward. No, he's a good operator. How has Microsoft kind of developed over time, as in, sorry, specifically Microsoft Docs, developed over time, as in in the last two years, so since about 2006, I think, when you went live, how have you made any changes, you know, made any improvements in the way Docs are distributed or anything, or are you pretty much just, uh, you're just still on what you started with? So I'll take that. So earlier we had a partnership with Adobe to to gather feedback on our docs. And, and then recently they enabled support for GitHub issues to gather feedback. So every time you raise a feedback on any of the page, it actually gets created as a GitHub issue. Then anybody can just track it basically, uh, can, can see what's happening there. So so that's that's one good thing. What we also ended up doing within our team is that uh, we, we kind of put up automation in place that every time a GitHub issue is created, that, that soft, software code actually takes looks at the who created that topic and automatically assigns that GitHub issue to that person and sends an email to them. So so that way the person is aware that, hey, I, a GitHub issue was created on my topic and I have an action item to do. We are also planning to you know enhance that process by doing some uh, triaging and in assigning some labels to those GitHub issues so that many many a times we get product feedback saying that, hey, we have the performance issue. First time I ran a web API, it took me 20 seconds, but the, from thereafter, it just takes me two seconds. So those, those kind of issues are not essentially content issues. They are like product issues, so we can label them appropriately. Sometimes we get localization feedback. Sometimes there is trash. Sometimes we just kudos, get kudos, which are not actionable, basically. So we're trying to uh, kind of filter all, all that through the new triage process that we are in the process of implementing. Also, our repo creation and management process has become uh, so you know simplified over the period of time. Now we can create a repo as soon as like five minutes. Earlier, we had to like go and reach out to our infrastructure team, request for repo creation that used to take two, three days, and that kind of delayed our process. So we are make, making a lot of progress in that area. Also, the search capabilities are increasing, and we now see good SEO results when you search on Google in Bing. I mean, you can find your topics easily on docs.microsoft.com. So those are some of the enhancements that have happened in the last two years. Yeah, and I, I guess I would add on that is, you know, as a product within Microsoft, you know, we've always been dependent on the greater publishing, whether it's MSDN or TechNet. I mean, there are groups within Microsoft that facilitate all the products in publishing their their content and so you know it's not like we can build something from scratch we're we're aligning to whatever features the uh, publishing platform team makes available to us so as they add new things then we can we can join in you know and I know that they've got a, a number of different initiatives um, you know to continually improve that I think it was interesting to sort of see how the docs publishing platform originated because I you know I'm not expert in that but just observing you can see a lot of that came out of the Azure team they they were the first ones to really create a publishing platform that that used github and sort of spurned using MSDN and technet and you know Scott Guthrie was a big driver for that and and it indicates you know I understand he's a, a strong advocate for the documentation because you know the there's a correlation between the satisfaction that people have with the docs and the product and so you know it's sort of it takes a long time for things to sort of come together in a big uh, organization like microsoft 
You know, I think it's pretty fascinating that the, the infrastructure that's built is all built on this underlying open source technology called DocFX. And so we've had, you know, product, you know, feature teams who, you know, often will spin up their own internal wiki or, or type thing. And they can, they can take that DocFX technology associated with a, a GitHub repo and build their own, essentially, almost the same type of thing for their internal use. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. That is cool. So just tell me about who docs are specifically aimed at in the Dynamics community. Are they aimed at consultants, end users, developers, admins, DevOps? Kind of what's the focus? So I'll, I'll, I'll go first, Chip, and then you can uh, okay. jump in. So it's basically for all, all kinds of users. We, we, we typically divide our users into three or four personas. So we have an end user who's basically using the apps, you know, doing things. They, they already have a system set up for themselves. They're just doing, like creating cases, you know, listening to customers. So th- those are the end user types. The second ones are basically the customizers who basically use the GUI to uh, set up the system without writing much code. I would say just limit to PowerShell or something. The third is admin who is basically uh, in managing your instances, taking care of your requests, going and fixing things for you. Again, he's he's just limited to using the GUI. And the, and the fourth kind are, are the developers slash ISVs basically who, who are like pro developers, they know how to use code, can go deep into the area and do, do a bunch of customization and extensions. So, so for, for user personas, we, we try to handle, and then somebody who's a solution architect has to wear, you know, wear different kinds of hats at different point of time. When, when he's kind of designing the system, he's a, he's a customizer slash developer, but when he's testing the system, he becomes a more like an end user kind of person to, to test it out. So, so that's what we deal with. Okay, so so what if I find a mistake or one of our audience here finds a mistake in docs? What's the best way to report that back through to your team? Right. So every docs topic has a feedback at the bottom, feedback section at the bottom of the topic. And that feedback is divided into two areas. One is the product feedback. The other one is the content feedback. You would need a GitHub ID to report the feedback, content feedback. So once you click on that, it will ask you for your GitHub login password. You just sign in and you can provide the feedback. As I told you earlier, we have an automation running. Every time you create a feedback, that feedback is automatically assigned to the person who wrote that topic, whether it's a PM or a writer or a developer. And then they have some time to look onto that. As content folks, we typically go and triage those GitHub issues. And if if an issue has been lying there for more than five days or, or like a week or so, we start pinging the author saying, hey, did you get a chance to look at this feedback? Can I help you with something? And that's the way they interact with you. So there is an interaction that goes on. So if, if I reported something, you're going to notify me that it was either solved at some point or thank you very much just for reporting it? Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it depends. And, you know, just a few minutes ago, I had one where a guy said, hey, I was trying to do this operation and uh, here's my stack trace. And I said, well, thank you. If you have some information about how you'd like the content to be changed, you know, please let us know. Otherwise, you need to contact support or go to the forums. And, and I closed that very quickly. So, you know, we won't, I hope that won't spend a whole lot of time if, if it isn't focused on some specific content change. If you say the content's not accurate, or you say the content is hard to understand, or anything that we can do to make the content better, you know, we can der- derive those. Otherwise, you know, the if it's a feature request, for example, the product feedback will take you there. Now, I guess I wanted to touch on this a little bit because, Mark, you might remember back when we had the chums and even on MSDM, we used to publish an email alias. So we had a, a doc feedback alias people could click. It was a mail to link and we get an email to a, to a shared alias and then we'd, we'd read those. And, you know, I loved that. I mean, I, I thought it was fantastic that, you know, someone could give you maybe some cryptic thing and you could reach out to them and go, do you mean this or this? Because if we can't convert this into something actionable, you know, we're not psychic, so it, it takes a little time to, to parse through. But when you can reach out to folks to say and have a have a, a dialogue, 
you know, that helps us resolve it, helps us make sure we're, we're making the right change. And that's where the GitHub issues allow us to have that, that back and forth. And hopefully not too many questions. We're not going to ask you to run a bunch of scripts on your environment or anything, but, but get down to the heart of the issue as fast as, as we can. No, that makes sense. And so what's very clear is that Docs is not a support environment. You know, there's a proper support channels for that. Docs is about documenting how to use the technology, where to find stuff if you need to, code samples or linking off to where they are available on GitHub and things like that or NuGet. It's definitely not a support environment, correct? That's correct. Yeah, fantastic. So how do you handle kind of name changes to, you know, at the moment we're seeing a lot of name changes with, you know, from Dynamics 365, Power Apps, Power Platform, things like this. And one of the ones that have just come up recently is Solutions are now going to be called Projects, although we've kind of, you know, some of my colleagues in the MVP space have reported rollbacks and, you know, one day it's called projects and then it's solutions and it's, it's stuck on solutions at the moment. How does it affect you from a documentation perspective as in making sure that, you know, is it just a pure fight and replace? But what happens to the people that, you know, for the last, you know, 15 years have been calling it solutions and they're still going to, if you like, search for the word solutions and don't realize it's changed to projects. How do you handle that? So I just wanted to tell you that the rename from solutions to projects has been put on hold indefinitely. Yes, I mean, I, I raised a big hue and cry about this uh, because uh, it, it it was like a major change to this. And, and then, yeah, thankfully it was rolled back. But yeah, if any time there is a thing like this, that features like this happens, what we typically do is this docs has this great functionality of setting redirects. So so if yesterday a, a feature was called what is solution and we renamed that to call what is a project, we actually set a rename for what is a solution and then redirect it to what is a project. So if even if you search for what is a solution, it leads you to a cached site, but the moment you click there, you will be redirected to something called what is a project. The first line will obviously say solutions are now called projects. Again, I'm, I'm using this as a wrong example, but, but feature A is now called feature B, and now this happens, works like this. So that's the first uh, weapon of def- defense we have. Typically, there is a blog out as well on the CRM team side, basically announcing the feature change, name change, and all. So, I mean, those are the two ways typically we try to handle that. And then obviously MVP community and, and other other folks in the community help us spread that word. And that, that is really helpful to us. So so thank you for being, being the excellent ambassadors for our product. <laughs> One of the other things that I guess is tying into that, and, and I don't know if a lot of people have noticed this yet, but when we became a Power Apps platform and we're having, uh, we've moved, uh, we've been in the process for more than about a year now of moving our content over to a new repo, a new URL that's under Power Apps. And so whereas in the past we had the Dynamics 365 customer engagement product, which had a web you know, application and it had a platform, you know, we have had to separate those things and move them into one category being model apps, which will include all your form scripting and things. We've moved uh, the platform into the common data service for apps. So these things were all written over the course of 15 years and and they were written to describe a, a unified product. And so We've been spending quite a lot of time, you know, separating those things out into into two separate buckets in, in a logical way. And, you know, in addition, the content about workflow was now under the flow site. So at the same time, there's a lot of content still under Dynamics 365. So we're kind of in a state right now where we've got duplicate content depending on, on where you go. So in the next several months or I don't know how long it'll take, but we've got to reconcile that so that we're not having to do do double entry in both places. So yeah, these changes to whether it's the name of a feature or the whole name of the suite of products has a huge amount of document impact. A lot of work has to be done to align the docs uh, with those kind of changes. Mm -hmm. So well, you're not saying, I'm just going to clarify if I pick this up. Do you think that then in the fullness of time, Dynamics 365 documentation will be superseded by Power Apps documentation? 
as of those two portal, as in, you know, those two, uh, they're both dock sites, but will one ultimately become the the master data, if you like, the master source of truth, and the other one, as the contents migrated across, will then become obsolete? I think, yes, going forward, but but I cannot speak much about that, obviously, owing to, you know, we, we still don't have product directions to talk about it publicly, but... Makes sense, makes sense. Okay, so that that's cool. Anything else, Jim? Yeah, I mean, we, we want people, you know, the discovery when people look for our stuff, it's, it's best if it's in one place, so... Yeah, to- totally makes sense. And, and, you know, the whole direction of, you know, the Dynamics apps, if you like, the first-party apps are, are one thing, and the Power Platform is something quite different, even though it supports, if you like, that whole environment. It makes sense to kind of make the, that transition. So yeah, very good, very good. So tell me about telemetry. What's your well, what the what telemetry kind of do you have running to understand? You know what docs are becoming. How would you say stale, maybe, or basically not searched for? And then what about key phrases that are searched for, but people are not really finding content? Do you do you run any telemetry around that type of thing? Yes. So we have Power BI dashboards running on our GitHub repos, the docs repos, and we we have recently built a, a revamped dashboard for the content people so that they can also individually go and look at their content areas and, and filter by their usernames on, on the areas that have high CSAT or, or like high traffic but low CSAT, and that's the area that, that they are being asked to f- focus on. If, if I go to the developer guide and I'm looking at the dashboard right uh, in front of me, the, the landing page actually gets the maximum page views for us because when, whenever people search for Dynamics 365 developer, developers, they get routed to our landing page. And that's that kind of gives a, them a very nice map of you know where to go and find our web services, our client scripting documentation, or, or, or you know how to achieve things using plugins, apply business processes against those. So, now for for the last month we had eighty two thousand one hundred forty page views basically of that content. The the, the second uh, most favorite uh, topic for users is basically downloading tools from NuGet. That gets the second most hit in the last month. It's almost fifty thousand hits that we got in the last month. The other other areas that get a lot of hits are subscribe to SDK assembly, query data using the web API, using the web API, obviously because that's the modern way of doing things in Dynamics 365. Also using how to various types of Dynamics 365 web web services and, and client API documentation are some of the highly visited content that we have in the developer space. Excellent, excellent. So another thing I noticed recently that help inside Dynamics 365 points to docs now. What was the thinking behind this? Is is, is that kind of remove contextual help that we've had in the past within the applications? Yes. So because it's an online product, what we thought was that, you know, pointing to the online documentation, which is always latest, is the best thing to do rather than coordinating with the product team and shipping the content as a package to them that they can you know, upload to the instance wherever is is such a stale way of doing things. So yeah, if when you click that thing, you always get pointed to the online documentation, which is the latest documentation. And assuming that, because our focus was so much on CRM online for the last two years, we assume that people who are accessing online will always have access to internet. So getting to the online documentation shouldn't be a concern. And we haven't really had any concerns, haven't heard any feedback against that that approach. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. It's an interesting. So another question I have is around how do you choose what format to write a doc in? And what I mean by this is, do you choose to create a step by step? Do you choose to add in screenshots or images? Do you choose to even add video? Or is it purely just you try to dump everything into text because it's like search rich but do, how do you see that like in the next five years we see you know statistically video consumption is going through the roof people are wanting to digest information with a, a quick here show how how if you like on screen or do you see that you're going to have to create multiple content types for the different types of consumption habits 
So video is great. I personally love YouTube videos, five-minute videos to get things done, and, and I, I like that. The only flip side to a video is that it quickly becomes outdated for products like ours, where we are such in, in such an agile mode where we are introducing new features, changing things around. I mean, and, and video production is, an, is a costly thing here because we just cannot put out any video outside as a Microsoft company. It has to have a standard set of sample data and has to be shot in a very professional manner. So it's not like I can do a screencast, capture that video, and just put it on as, as an official employee of Microsoft. I can do that in my personal capacity. That's the reason videos are so costly. Coming to how we document a feature, we try to provide certain minimal things in the documentation. First, the concept, what is that feature about? How does it help you? Second, how do you go about using that feature? And third, if, if, if that is a developer feature, we try to provide you samples. It can be broken down into separate topics. And it can be into a single topic that is dependent on the time and the stuff that the writer gets to write about that, that topic. Obviously, over time, as we see more interest in that topic and if we see feedback that, hey, we have some missing information or the information is not complete, we obviously go back and try to beef it up. But to start with, it's always conceptual, step-by-step samples and if it's an end user or a customizer documentation we try to put uh, screenshots that help the user and and reference of course and you know reference. one of the, the the challenges of course with references you can't write it all out by hand uh, most times and so trying to get an automated way you know we depend on some of the shared infrastructure with the publishing platform to generate say the reference content for the uh, SDK assemblies you know and uh you know, different ways of, of getting reference information is, is, is essential. And, and I think the client API is the only thing that has to sort of be written by hand these days. Yeah, we also have reference documentation for REST API. For example, Online Management API has, has this documentation generated based out of a swagger.json file. Uh, excellent, excellent. So what kind of, when you're getting requests for documentation, people can't find something, kind of what, I don't want to know the kind of the detail, but what at a high level are the common areas that you're getting the most doc requests as in for content to be created at the moment? So for for, for our area, I see constant requests to create documentation, like, like provide samples for the reference content. For example, client API, they people want samples for each of the client API methods that, that we have documented, which is a valid ask, and, and we are working in that direction. People are also looking for information around this confusion around Dynamics 365 and Power Apps. For example, you know, when Power Apps and Dynamics 365 came together, they, they took the external platform and uh, reimagined that as a CDS for apps. So people people want a little more explanation in that area, and and we are trying to you know bridge that gap again, and we also have a release notes basically that that comes out. People want little little more information in in the features feature areas that have released. So those kind of requests we keep getting. Yeah, I mean, for for example, one of the things that, that I'm working on right now is we we need to provide people with better guidance about how to write plugins that work in a performant way with, uh, with uh, the online services. You know, this is a frequent area where when people report issues, the root cause can be determined to be a plugin that, that doesn't follow the guidance that we have. So, you know, we're trying to, you know, make it easier for people to discover, you know, the, the best way to, to implement the guidance that we have. The guidance we have, I think, is, is not detailed enough, doesn't provide enough examples, and uh, we need to uh, do more to elaborate on the best practices and how people can can test their assemblies and uh, and make sure that this is going to not cause any problems downstream. Yeah, excellent, excellent. I tell you, one of the things that I know a bunch of MVPs are very happy about in regards to docs in recent times is that you mention, you know, some of the community-based tools like the XRM toolbox, Ribbon Workbench, things like that, now on docs, which is kind of never happened in the past and i tell you it's definitely a big kudos thing to so many of those people to see their uh their products now mentioned up there you know where they're really helping the community as well 
Yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, for example, you, you talked about areas that get a lot of hits. And, you know, one of the areas that doesn't get a lot of hits, but we still have to publish it, is, is some of the ribbon reference documentation. Because, you know, if you use the tools we provide, which is nothing, then you're composing the XML and uh, modifying this and uploading it. And very few people do that as soon as they discover Scott DeRoe's ribbon workbench. You know, so, you know, the fact that, that Scott read through all that documentation and reference and and created tooling that allows people to to create their ribbons you know there it's an essential part of the success for the product so we we need to point people to it but i think the problem is that you know as writers we're not out implementing it day to day you know we're not necessarily having a need for the for the the plug-in trace log viewer you know but recognizing that that those are providing good features we want to lead people to them so that they're not struggling yeah excellent is there a way to subscribe to docs like you know like an rss or can i and can i just get the delta the changes so you know i could imagine in my inbox in the morning you know for a few of us we wouldn't mind seeing oh look at that that's changed read up and it just kind of keeps us abreast of the changes and stuff going on is there any type of functionality like that I have proposed this, and, and we opened up a, a ticket with the, with the shared services team to, to make this a bit available. I think, you know, as somebody who does get notifications every time it changed, I think you would quickly put it in your junk box because it's impossible to keep track of, of all of the changes that happen every day as, as people make changes on the repo. It, it, it is a lot of noise. I, I second Jim on that. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Choice, people, choice. Power to the people. Give them choice. <laughs> but, you know, we have had, in the past, we've, we've, we were able to try and say, hey, here are the big changes coming in this release. But now the, the releases are coming all the time. And so it's really stuff's difficult. stuff's happening weekly, fortnightly. Yes. It's, uh, yeah. So we're just trying to keep to keep the docs up to date, and and it would be best, it would be nice to be able to say, hey, here's a here's a change. But we do have the release notes, which at a high level tell you, you know, what's coming. Yeah. You know what would be really nice and a simple way to do it would be if you were logged in and you could, you know, you're, so you're reading or an author, uh, sorry, an authenticated user in Docs. And if it just, from the last time you viewed the page, if it just did that like light yellow background to the text lines that, you know, made kind of Web 2.0 famous, that just highlighted, then the next time you acted at the page, it just be normal, you know, black text on a white background. It would just give you, although it's probably not user friendly, right? So. Well, you know, if if you if you want to clone the repo, and then you've got a local copy of it on your machine, then you can, uh, you know, GitHub provides all of the diffing capabilities to see what's what's new. So, I mean, generally, I just pull down the latest changes and synchronize. But I, I bet there's there's got to be a way if you really want to get into it to look at all the the individual changes as as a diff between the original repo. Yeah. Okay, so a little challenge to the community out there. There's a little project that Jim has just lined up that you want to get your teeth dirty or, you know, uh, wet your appetite on something like this for the community. Go ahead. How are docs, how often are they updated uh, or how often is new content going out? Are we talking about multiple times a day, a couple of times a week or, you know, monthly? What's the frequency? Just ballpark. Yeah, I mean, I think it's daily gets updated. We have we have a huge team of writers working on on docs, and as we get issues, we resolve issues. We get new feature information. We have a system that that enables them to publish on their wish uh, on demand, basically. So, I can't give you a figure, but I will say the docs are updated daily. Yeah, that's fine. That's exactly what I was looking for. Kind of like, you know, a bit of a feel for frequency. Often, multiple times in a day. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything we've not discussed about docs? We're going to get into some quickfire questions to wrap up shortly, but is there anything else that you'd just like to add that the it would be valuable for the community to know about docs? So I would like to speak a little bit about the technical writer and the technical writing profession here, and this is in, in relation to docs. So we, we as writers for CRM are are trying to learn things and write to the best of our abilities. We we are definitely not going out and implementing things there. So, I mean, we actually look forward to feedback and community blog posts that I read so often, MVPs, basically, the emails that you send as a, as a source of information and try to roll it back into our documentation. Jim, for so many times, has forwarded me threads saying that, hey, do, do you 
this is interesting. You might want to pull that into this topic in there. So, so I would say continue doing that. Uh, that's a huge help to us because you guys are actually going out in in that market and you know trying to implement things for our products. And we're really thankful. And you're sharing that knowledge back with us and the community. I can only say we're really thankful for this. Awesome. Jim, anything else? Well, yeah, you know, and, and it's, it's true. We get, I have a, a network, the MVPs are great to, to raise awareness. You know, they're things that slip past and they say, hey, is this still true? And then we look at it and go, no, it isn't. Okay, that needs to get fixed. There's a lot of stuff and, and more eyes on it, the better. And, you know, in terms of, of the docs, we, we're doing the best we can, but there's always room for people to, to go a step further. We're, we're, we are, you know, I don't know if I'd say hindered, but, but we do have the extra burden or requirement that, you know, whatever we publish is the, you know, official supported word. So we're very careful not to speculate or imagine or, or you know, we get everything verified and, and we do our fact checking. And that does take a bit more time. Yeah, no, and, and that makes sense. It's become a mammoth product from when you first started, Jim, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, isn't it used to be, you know, one product changed every three years, you know, back in the day. And now, you know, it's just a phenomenal, you know, piece of technology. So it's no surprising. It's no surprise if you like there's going to be some gaps from time to time. But it's good that the community have a method to feed back and provide input that is that is taken on board and, you know, updated as as needed. Okay, so quick fire question times, guys. So I've got five questions and just take turn about answering or whoever answers first course, the second person gets the hindsight of getting a little bit more time to think. But what books, blogs or podcasts do you recommend most to people and why? In fact, these don't have to be anything around dynamics or business. These can just be, you know, anything more personal if, if necessary. Jim, you're up first. Okay, you know, it's interesting because I, I just got into podcasts this past year. And listening to them as I drive back and forth to work when I'm going to sleep at night. I listen to a lot of history podcasts, listen to the history of Rome, history of English language, and listen to history of Japan. A lot of history-based podcasts are, are kind of my thing. You know, as far as books, you know, I read a lot of science fiction, but I spend a lot of time looking at, uh, you know, things related to CRM. I, I have to call out and mention Power Objects CRM book. You know, that's something. I'm always searching, you know, when we when we update our content and say, well, what are people saying about this? You know, what, what exists out there today? And I constantly bump into into the CRM book and I admire their effort to do that. I always sort of look at it and go, damn it, I wish we should we should be doing that or, or you know, one, one thing or the other. But good, good on them for, for, for doing that. I run into Scott DeRoe's blog posts and I'm always amazed at the insight that he derives I don't think he has like a microphone in the dev room or anything, but <laughs> a hidden microphone. But but he seems to to be able to pull out a lot of depth out of uh, out of just the product code. The CRM tip of the day, the training content put together by David and Julie Yak, and I, I keep bumping into Ben Hosking's the Hosk blog. He gets great SEO, and he always has sort of interesting items in there. So I I, I tend to to encounter those. Excellent, excellent. Vivek, anything you want to add? So yeah, I like reading a lot of technical blogs, not necessarily just limited to CRM, but in general about technology, geeky things, and CNN, Wired, those are the websites I visit often. Uh, CRM community blog, I like a lot. Um, I mean, all the MVPs, uh, I, I do follow. I mean, I don't have any personal favorite, favorites, but I do do. <laughs> Do visit them, and there is one site called USD the Book that's done by Neil Parkhurst. I I like that. I mean that that's a great source of learning about USD. So I do like that as well. But generally, I mean I just I just keep looking for stuff, find something interesting, just go deep into it and read about it. Nice, nice. What's your favorite app and why? And I'm talking about apps that I'd find on your phone that's chewing the most battery power. <laughs> I was going to say VS Code, but that's not on my phone. <laughs> I don't know. I use the phone mostly for, for email and reading news. But, uh, you know, I, I if I'm going to sit down and I'm bored, I love to go to Google Earth and just sort of explore the world and uh, see all the places that I have been or want to go. Right. And, and, and for me, it will be Google News. Basically, again, you can set subjects, you know, keywords, and it will just pull in news on that subject for you and keep keep 
pulling in data and giving you latest news on that. So I like Google News. For that matter, Apple News as well, but somehow I like Google News a little more. <laughs> do, do either of you have kind of daily rituals that set you on the right path for a successful day? Oh, so yes. I mean, I'll go first. I, of, of course, Jim would have his own. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to daily like to clean up my inbox. I but I in the in the last few few weeks I have not been able to do that. I I, I check my reminders calendars basically for all the meetings and make sure that I don't miss out. Even if Outlook doesn't give me a uh, you know reminder, so I just uh, am on that. And then I have I have a monthly task list for me. I don't make it weekly because I tend to not finish it. But I have a monthly thing and I do try to follow up with people and try to get back. To them or try to finish the tasks that I promised that I'll do in this month. So that's that's my kind of ritual. Well, I've seen your I've seen your inbox, Vivek. And <laughs> <laughs> I guess you know for me, getting up and having eating a good leisurely breakfast with a big cup of coffee is a, a daily ritual that I have. Nice, and that's uh, that's how you kick off your day. Mm-hmm. Excellent. What's the best purchase you guys have made under a hundred dollars? I just did it last week. It's a Google Home Hub. Actually, it was selling for $99. Uh, typically, it's $150. The one with the screen? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's awesome, hey? Isn't I've got one myself? Yeah. <laughs> I had a hard time thinking of something that I bought uh, for under $100, and I would, I would probably say a nice meal. Uh, going out with the wife and having a nice meal, we can get that for under 100 bucks. That's great. Yeah, and, and you should still be able to, right? Yeah. Who do you recommend as a guest on the podcast of Future? I was looking through some of the previous people, you know, and obviously you had uh, James Phelps. So I guess the next person would be Charles Lamana. Yeah. So he's 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 booked. Stephen's booked. Ryan's booked. So I've got a few of them coming on. (laughs) So which Ryan? Both of them. Okay. Good. So those are on my list. Other than that, you know, I had Scott Duro. He has his own uh, video series, but be a great yeah, person yeah, to yeah. hear. As in, because we both live in London. Uh, well, s- since I've moved to London, I've caught up with him, and it's definitely it's on the cards to do a podcast with him. So, that, um, without a doubt. So, I would also recommend Jonah Sterling. He's our general manager of design, and he looks into the design for Dynamics 365 Power Apps Flow, everything Power. Thing. I mean, he, he can be a great guest there. I mean, he can talk about the design language and some some thinking that goes behind how to shape up the UI. So this is, is did you say it's Jonas Sterling? No, it's Jonah, J-O-N-A-H, Sterling, S-S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G. Excellent. I would love to have a discussion on UI. That, that would be great. Hey, Vivek and Jim, it's been great to have you on the show. Before you go, if people kind of want to connect with you online, are you on Twitter, LinkedIn? What's the best way if people want to have a shout out to you? I am. I participate. There's a CRM. There's a couple. There's a Power Apps and CRM Facebook group that I tend to, to, to look at. I'm on LinkedIn. I have a, a Twitter account and, and a number of followers, but I don't post very much there. Mm-hmm. Vivek? Yeah, I, I have a Twitter handle called Vivek underscore MSFT. So I'll, I'll love to get some interaction there. You've been listening to the Dynamics 365 Practice Show. Please consider subscribing to the feed on any great podcast player. Your host is Business Applications MVP Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 Guy. For show notes or discuss anything covered in this podcast, please go to nz365guy.com forward slash 50 and I'll catch you next time.